Hi and welcome to another episode of the Page One Podcast. I'm Marco. I'm Derek. And thanks again for tuning in to the Page One Podcast where we like to speak to authors of all kinds about their writing careers, how they got their break in the industry and really try and get as many hints and tips about their writing as possible. Absolutely. Primarily yeah. for ourselves, but yeah. we're happy to share them. That, that's really why we started it, but we, <laughs> we don't tell them that. Yeah. Uh, I hope you've had a good week since the last episode. If you If this is your first episode, please do have a look at all the other episodes that we've got up there, we've got some chats with some great authors. Yeah. Uh, David Baldacci, Andy McNabb, M.R. Carey. Tim, Tim Levin. Tim Levin, Helen Fitzgerald. Many, many. Real, and a real yeah, mix. Yeah, a real mix across uh, various industries. But they've all got really good tips, I think, about yeah. how to write. And they've all got different stories about how they got into the industry. Yeah. Some folk had it very easy, you know, first agent or whatever. Yeah. And some folk could struggled for a long time yeah so it's it's nice knowing you're not alone out there exactly who's on this week though Tarek this week we are chatting with Claire Askew who is an Edinburgh based poet and novelist whose debut novel All the Hidden Truths was a very successful first book won the uh 2016 Lucy Cavendish Fiction Prize and recently the... William McIlvany Debut Novel Prize at the Bloody Scotland Crime Festival, which she was very surprised to receive. Two years after the book had been out. Yeah, it was was sometime after it had been published, but um, it is a great book, actually, and we chat with Claire a lot about the book, so I won't say too much about it now, but it's not what I would class as your typical crime novel. Yes. It's... You find out what the crime is and who did it at the very, very start of the book, and it's more about the fallout and how you deal with grief and yeah, all of that exactly. sort of thing. It's a nice change, and it's written in a really interesting way as well. But we we discuss all this with Claire, so I don't want to get into it too much just Let's now. Let's just say those who are fond of writing Wikipedia entries are in for a treat. <laughs> yeah, um, and we also discuss her latest book, uh, which is the second book in the Di Birch series, "What You Pay For." And we also have an exciting competition to win a copy of what you pay for. Which signed copy. Signed copy. At that. Exactly. Which, by Claire, yeah. not by us. Yeah, not by us. That <laughs> wouldn't be very good. And we'll tell you how to enter that competition at the end of the podcast. But enough from us just now. Uh, we'll get straight into the podcast and we'll speak to you later. See you then. Did you always want to be a writer growing up? Did you always love reading? And Yeah, I did. I had a, a very brief period when I was about six where I wanted to be a vet. Right. Um, <laughs> but otherwise, it was writer from the beginning. Uh-huh. Um, my dad is really into words, and he's always been like a technical writer. He works in PR and, mm-hmm. and communications. And, and I think he always sort of instilled in me and my little brother like, a love of the sound of words and he used to recite very strange poetry to us like instead of a bedtime story I would get like Edward Lear or Jabberwocky or that kind of thing um so from you know for as long as I can remember I was always really into words and stories and things and then it just kind of grew from there I was very lucky when I was in high school to have very encouraging English teachers and Mm -hmm. you know came to University of Edinburgh to do English lit Mm -hmm. and it's just I've just sort of had a very booky life Mm -hmm. so it it just has there was never a conscious decision to go into the world of words I've just always lived in the world of words yeah Yeah. Um, but when did you have that first you know putting your writing out there which is always a big step Mm -hmm. for a lot of people when did you first do that was that at uni or was that yeah it was I think um it was about 2004 when I went and started my uh, English lit degree and I first met other people who wrote stories and poems and things and I, I had been completely alone in my high school mm. and thought mm. I was this complete weirdo <laughs> had a very strange hobby yeah. and then I met other people and 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 found that there were other writers out there so yeah. so I very quickly kind of leapt into all of that and and I was a poet for a long time before mm. I even thought mm. about writing novels so um yeah, started sending poetry out to magazines and things in the sort of mid-2000s. And then in about 2014, started to write the first novel. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of things that sort of 
came together to to make that the time for mm-hmm. the novel. The idea for All the Hidden Truths, what became All the Hidden Truths, had been sort of kicking around in my head for years before that. I was working at a further education college and there was one day that we had a sort of a bit of a scare. Right. Um, and then we got an email from a student who said she, oddly, she was going to bring an air rifle to class. Oh, wow. um, and, you know, we were all... We were all, and it was my class she was coming to, and we were all a bit like, "What do we do about that?" It was yeah. kind of sort of quite a friendly email. It wasn't threatening. She was like, oh, "I'm going to bring my air rifle in and show everybody," and we were kind of like, <laughs> so "Oh God, <laughs> we are, we are not prepared for this." So was it, um, was it something saying, "I'm going to shoot people with it," or was it like a? No, it was. Kind of, I think she's. I mean, she was a strange, strange woman, but I think she saw it as sort of like a. Sh- I've got this thing that's like a show and tell oh, t- type thing, and we we sort of. We realised, you know, nothing terrible happened and it was all fine, but we realised that we didn't have anything in place for, mm-hmm. you know, if she just showed up with this thing. Yeah. We had no procedure for what we would do, how we would protect the students, you know. Um, and I think it was that incident that it got me thinking, what would I do? What would anybody mm-hmm. do? What, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and then that kind of started a train of thought that connected into all sorts of other of the other trains of thought and it, and the idea just kind of it was like a rolling snowball it just yeah. got bigger and bigger and then wouldn't leave me alone no so. that's what happens i think <laughs> yeah. The best ideas. yeah you have to get it down i mean it is it is and that, just for anyone that's not read the book do you want to give a brief summary yes. of what yes um so all the hidden truths is about uh, a mass shooting at a fictional further education college in edinburgh and um it's a beautiful day in May and a young man called Ryan Summers walks into his uh, further education college and shoots dead 13 of his female classmates and then himself. And the book actually follows sort of six weeks in the aftermath of this event from the point of view of three women who are trying to come to terms with what's happened. And one of them is Ryan Summers' mother, Moira. One of them is the mother of the first victim, Ishbel, and the third is D.I. Helen Birch, who has just been promoted, and this is the first case that lands on her desk. Mm-hmm. Lucky her. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is an unusual topic for a UK uh, crime novel to tackle, really. You know, obviously in America, it's a much, mm-hmm. sadly, it's a much more common uh, thing. Why did you want to, I mean, was it just this, this thing that happened in your earlier life that sort of caused you to go down that path? Well, it, it kind of, one of the things that, one of the like layers of snow that this snowball gathered mm-hmm. as it rolled down the mountain was, um, it kind of connected into my thoughts about Dunblane, which had mm-hmm. also been sort of rattling around in my head for a while. Um, because I was 10 when that happened mm-hmm. and I was in a little primary school on the Scottish borders, you know, not, a million miles away and I remembered very vividly my school which had you know a hundred pupils going from being a kind of place that parents just wandered in and out and it was very friendly and it was all very chilled to overnight having like security doors and CCTV and all this kind of thing um, and that was kind of a big like loss of innocence moment for mm-hmm. a lot of us in Scotland yeah. I think who were around who were young people in that era because you suddenly realise that your safe places are not as safe as as you think they are. Um, And that sort of kept coming to me as I was watching news reports about these shootings that were happening in America and hearing pundits say, like, well, this doesn't happen here. It's not a problem that we have to deal with. And kind of thinking, well, actually, we, we did have to deal yeah. with it once it did happen yeah. here. And I think it's a bit complacent to sort of not not even consider it. I think, you know, I, when I was working in further education, I worked a lot with young men who'd been kind of rightly or wrongly labelled as like particularly challenging. And I could absolutely see how these often quite like angry, disenfranchised young men, if, if the right set of circumstances came mm-hmm. along, I could completely understand how... Yeah they could get into a position where they did something mm-hmm. horrendous, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was sort of worry about that and annoyance at how the discussion was playing out in the media and this thing that had that had happened with the girl with the air rifle. It all kind of came together and mm. and I thought, 
like, you know, I can see this happening. I think other people could see it yeah. happening. So I, I mean, thought the book was plausible enough. You know? Yeah, totally. And I think as so much um, of the British crime scene is is quite, um, it's, it's kind of has a lot of tropes that it follows. And I felt this yeah. was this was a, a nice spin on what a normal crime novel is here. It's it de- it deals probably because it deals with, with a matter that you don't really tend to get here because of as we've we've, we've said. I thought so I thought that was quite good, and I really liked the way you used social media and stuff. You know, you used yeah. uh, there's a lot of excerpts in, in the book from Wikipedia, mm-hmm. um, comments, so, uh, tweets, etc. And and I felt you totally captured the reality of what people do tend to how these things look mm-hmm. online, the comments that people make, and. And I take it you did a lot of research into, you know, stuff like false flag attacks, trolling, incels, all that kind of yeah. murky world, <laughs> which is just nuts. Yeah. And that came across really well, I thought. Yeah, that was a, I mean, it was fascinating, but also depressing. Yeah. To, yeah, yeah. to go yeah. on these, like, conspiracy theory websites and see the sorts of things that mm-hmm. people really believe, like, you know, Sandy Hook and all these yeah. kind mm-hmm. of shootings were all faked by the yeah. government to try and bring about gun control. And you just think... That's such a horrendous, you know, that that, that has horrendous implications for the survivors yeah, and the families, yeah, and, yeah. you know, just horrendous. Um, but I did get quite geeky about the, the Wikipedia and, and stuff. I'm sort yeah, of it just, fascinated but it just looks like Wikipedia. the formatting of it just looks, you yeah. obviously nailed that look of it. Perfectly. Well, they actually had to kind of walk me back a little bit from my obsessive <laughs> Wikipedia stuff. Because if you look through the Wikipedia pages in the book, there are the little numbers in square brackets mm-hmm. that direct you to links, you know, like Wikipedia has. And I had actually created the, you know, at the very bottom of the Wikipedia page, yeah, you've got like the index of all, all those stuff, references. Yeah. I had created that and I wanted that in the back of the book. Oh. Um, <laughs> and they were a bit like, but these are made up links. They don't go anywhere. Like, this doesn't need to be in there. But, I said, but it's the end of the Wikipedia and it brings it full circle. So I, I got very... Very into that. So, but Wikipedia is this fascinating place because it's, you know, oh, it's, it's a it's, rabbit hole. Well, it's where we all go, isn't it? Mm. To kind of look for, oh, I wonder how that happened, or I wonder what the mm-hmm. the timeline was for this yeah. incident or whatever. And yet, we also, you know, I've been a teacher for a lot of years. We tell students like never quote Wikipedia because oh, yeah. it's not trustworthy. Yeah. So it's it, we kind of treat it as an authority, and yet mm. we also don't know if it is ever telling us the truth, you know. Mm. So I got very kind of interested in that. Maybe a bit too interested. <laughs> um, yeah. No, but it was a really, it, it was quite a unique thing to have mm-hmm. all these different sort of breaks in the the story for that. And I thought that really helped. You know, I, th- I think it really helped push the story mm-hmm. on. Yeah, it's all quite good for like time jumps, isn't yeah, it? For yeah. moving mm-hmm. forward in six weeks or whatever, or three weeks gone by and you get a little summary of what's happened in that time. Because mm-hmm. I, I always struggle with trying to work out what's the best way to move a chunk of time forward in a story and I know you've, you've used that yeah, before that yeah. kind of newspaper yeah, used, stuff, newspaper mm-hmm. article which is a good way of doing it I think uh-huh. and it's you know just from a from a plotting point of view there are things you want to get across that have happened that you don't really want to have to write an entire no. scene of it mm-hmm. happening you know um, so having that reported to you in a newspaper article is quite a handy yeah shit, like it, a cheat it, really well, it, yeah. it sort of um, fixes yeah. the, the sort of here's a person going to give a lot of exposition instead mm-hmm. of that you've got that yeah. as yeah. an option which yeah. is quite a good technique I thought and also it's it, it's an unusual novel or an unusual crime novel in the sense that it's not really a it's not a whodunit mm-hmm. because you find that out right. <laughs> immediately yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's more dealing with the aftermath of it all mm-hmm. and about how it's affected all these different people mm-hmm. which you know I think it was really good and it of course went on to win the McIlvany Prize it debut did. prize yeah. At, the, at bloody Scotland. How, yeah. How did that feel? Um, absolutely gobsmacking. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was really interesting because the book had been out for more than a year mm-hmm. by oh, the really? time it was shortlisted for that. So I'd kind of, you know, the, the second one, what you pay for was, was out. Mm-hmm. I'd kind mm-hmm. of moved on in my head to, you know, promoting what you pay for and talking about what you pay for. And, and I'd sort of slightly put all the hidden truths on, on a shelf, um, in my mind. So it was really nice to then, have it recognised mm-hmm. in that way. And it's the first time they've ever done a McIlvany debut prize. So it was amazing to be the sort of yeah. inaugural inaugural recipient. It was great. And I was on a, such a good shortlist as well with some yeah. really, really yeah. great books. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm chuffed. I'm still kind of getting my head around it, to be honest. <laughs> it's amazing. 
Uh, yeah, no, we actually spoke. Uh, we had Craig Robertson on the mm-hmm. oh, yeah. on the podcast, yeah. so mm-hmm. he was he was talking about it as well. So yeah, no, I think uh, everyone was impressed by it. Clearly, and <laughs> when um, when you were getting all the hidden truths published, was it, you know what was the route to publishing? If you like, did, mm. uh, getting an agent, did you have rejections, and how did you go down that? Path? It had a really funny route to publication. Uh-huh. Um, in that, it was. Basically, I had like this massive attack of hubris um, in that it was a complete mess. I got to 50,000 words. It wasn't finished and it was a complete mess and I knew it was a complete mess. And I thought, well, what better to do than enter it into a competition <laughs> in, this, in this horrendous <laughs> state? Um, someone sent me a link to the Lucy Cavendish Fiction Prize, which mm-hmm. is one of the few novel prizes that will take works in progress. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, well, first 10,000 words is not bad. The rest of it's dire, but like, first 10,000 <laughs> words is all right. So... So I sent it off to this competition and, and uh, was absolutely gobsmacked when it won. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a result of it winning this prize, it was immediately uh, agented by one of the judges. Right. And she and I worked on it for about nine months and it went through about nine drafts in which she, I mean, she was a saint. She managed mm-hmm. to help me untangle this massive mm-hmm. knot of a novel and get it into much better shape. Um, but she and I had we came to an impasse basically about the ending mm-hmm. um because i don't want to spoil the book but it basically doesn't it doesn't kind of give you a nice cozy feeling when you put no. it down you know it, yeah. you don't get to walk away and think like all right i can stop thinking about this yeah, novel now i sort of wanted it to bother people yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely um so it doesn't have a a tidy ending and she kept saying to me look if you if you just do like a twist and reveal like a classic crime novel mm-hmm. it's going to be much more commercial you know, people will like it much better. It's going to do better. Mm-hmm. And I was going, well, that's, that's not what I yeah. want to yeah. do. Yeah. Yeah. And we just got to the point where she was saying, well, I'm, I'm not going to send it out unless, oh, you, really? unless you do this. And I was going, well, I'm not, I'm not doing it. Yeah. Um, so in the end, we very amicably parted ways, um, which was quite terrifying. Mm-hmm. That, you know, it was my decision, but it was still mm-hmm. quite yeah, a yeah, terrifying thing. Yeah, you're going out there again. Yeah. Yeah. Although I suppose now you do have at least you have a book that's been massively improved. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I, to be honest, I thought I was going to put it in a drawer and write another one. Um, and then fortunately my friend, Helen Sedgwick, who is about to become a crime novelist, she's been a literary novelist up till now, but she's about to release her first crime novel. Um, she came along and was like, for goodness sake, you have to at least send it out to one more person. You yeah. know, mm-hmm. Only one person has seen it. Um, and she was very forthright with me. Unfortunately, <laughs> I listened. Um, and it went out again and it's now, Agented, it was it was agented again, and um, then it went out on submission and yeah. found found its home. So, but it, it was a yeah. it was a funny it was a long period of like nearly a year where it was in this limbo state of being edited, but not by an editor. Yeah, you know, it was, was it was it hard finding your second agent, or was or was it easier because you'd had you know did you because you could name someone before and you'd had this work mm. and stuff? Was that was that a bit of a helping hand, or was well, it I still mean, hard? Kath, my agent now, was was chuffed because obviously I brought her this book that had gone through nine yeah. rounds yeah, of edits. Yeah, yeah. So she was like, fantastic, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. So so yeah, she was she was really pleased. It didn't need anything much really? doing to yeah. it, and it was able to just go out the door, which I think you know was I, I sense that doesn't happen for her no, very I, often. Quite rare, yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, she was she was quite pleased. So it did all happen quite quickly um, once Helen like persuaded me yeah. to to get it out there again mm-hmm. but you know yeah so I've been very fortunate in a lot of ways um, do, do you think entering competitions is 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 that something you would encourage aspiring writers or people that are writing to do or does it serve to have it looked at by someone professional before you're doing that sort of thing it's a tricky one I think the Lucy Cavendish Prize is great because there's no entry fee that's a big thing mm-hmm. um and I think if you get too much into sending out to competitions, you can probably bankrupt mm-hmm. yourself. Yeah, like yeah, some yeah. of them have massive entry mm-hmm. fees. Um, so I would never say to anyone that you should shell out loads of money. Mm-hmm. This is this is a route to go down. But I think if they're free to enter or cheap to enter, mm-hmm. like you have a punt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know why yeah. not? Why not? Because mm-hmm. um, that was absolutely what what I felt I was doing. I thought mm-hmm. you know, I might as well. You know, I have nothing to lose here, but I had no expectations whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And it somehow came off. So, you know, I would say have a bash 
And it was, I take it what you sent in wasn't like first draft, first draft? No. no. So the first 10,000 words had, because, I mean, I never, I wasn't sure if I had it in me to write a novel, to be Mm. honest, because I'd been a poet for so long and I was like, I don't, I don't, Mm. genuinely don't know if I have the attention span for this. Um, So, and I'd try, I'd kind of tried to write longer things before and I'd always got to about 10,000 words and then just run out of steam. Um, so I spent quite a long time having this 10,000 words and then going back over it and polishing yeah, it, yeah. you know, and then eventually started to write the rest. But it did mean that the first bit was in fairly good shape. So how did you, how did you get past that issue of, was it, you know, I need to write more than the first 10,000 words? Did you, did you have like a kind of structure that was saying every day I'm going to sit down and just going to force myself to write some more words? Or? Well, I think I'd, weirdly, I'd sort of got into a bit of a rhythm with writing a big thing because before I wrote this novel, I did a PhD um, in creative writing. And so, and I was working full time at the same time, which was madness. My (laughs) my biggest piece of advice to anybody is don't do that. Um, So I'd got into this rhythm of like working in the week and then writing on the weekends for the PhD. Mm -hmm. And I think I just sort of missed the PhD. So I was, I was spending my Saturday afternoons like in the spare room, kind of messing around with this novel. I was, I used that was the sort of terms that I used. I was mm-hmm. very kind of secretive and mm-hmm. and reticent to talk about it. But like, oh, it's just this thing that I'm sort of messing around with, and it's it's nothing, you know. Yeah. And you know, that's I wouldn't like to hear another writer talking about their work like that. But I do think it helped that I never spoke about it as a serious thing, and I was able to feel like oh, I'm just messing around. It doesn't matter yeah. if it comes to anything. Yeah. You know that Keep helped the pressure to off from yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and then it got, to, you know, it gets to the point where if you've got 50,000 words, you're like, well, I've spent a lot of time yeah, on this. Yeah. I kind Might of well have finish to it finish yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I feel like now, cause I've now written another two. The mm-hmm. third one is sort of in production now. Okay. I now know that there's, I hit a wall at about 30,000 words because it's a novelty up until then. You're like, oh, yeah. it's a fantastic idea mm-hmm. and I'm so enjoying yeah, it and yeah. I love these characters. And then, and then it's kind of like, oh. There's so much more to go <laughs> yeah. after 30,000 words. Am I only here? You know, um, and that's now the point where I have to go, right? Come on, just, yeah. I just think we've chatted to a few folk who say similar. You, there's always that initial rise of this is something new and exciting, and then that dip of this is not working out. Yeah. There's so much stuff I need yeah. to have lined up properly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, who am I to write more than 30,000 yeah. yeah. <laughs> And I think, I don't know about if you find this, but I find. 30,000 words in, I suddenly start to get ideas for other novels. And I'm like, that's so much better. That would be so much better. Why can't I go and work on that? And it's just the lure of the, mm-hmm. the new idea really gets me. So. And do you, do you plan out in great detail or, you know, are you, as they say, planner or pantser, I think is the... I was a pantser the... for All <laughs> Hidden Truths because I, di- I genuinely didn't know what I was doing. Uh-huh. Um, and that did not go well you know um, I learned yeah. from having to do yeah. nine rounds of edits with my <laughs> first agent um so now I am a dedicated planner right. and I use not everyone likes this method but I use Blake Snyder's Save the Cat right there. as my mm-hmm. plotting tool and I'm I'm a big believer in the three act structure mm-hmm. um, so yeah. yeah so that's what I've used for the subsequent two and, and has that made it a lot easier to write those two? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, just that, the way he splits it into he splits it into three acts and then fifteen what he calls beats, like mini acts, mm-hmm. and just having it split into smaller chunks so you can hit a milestone every so often. Yeah, it, yeah. It Does that take away some going. of the creative kind of flow, or do you find that it actually helps? It, it, I think it helps. I mean, when you're writing a crime fiction novel, you have to have a little bit of a sense of, of that structure. Yeah. I, I really don't want to be formulaic. And I hope yeah. that if my books become formulaic, then someone will tell me so I can stop <laughs> doing that. Um, but all the hidden truths was incredibly hard to write because it didn't have that structure, you know? Um, and it's not a traditional crime novel, mm-hmm. partly because I think when I was writing it, I didn't realize it was a crime novel that I was writing. Um, and now I know that I'm writing crime novels. I sort of lean into the structure because I think mm-hmm. readers expect it as well. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. It helps me. Yeah, they true. want yeah. it. So why wouldn't I? Mm-hmm. <laughs> why wouldn't I do it, basically? And with, with a plan, do you ever come across a bit where you've got your plan written out, but 
as you're writing it, something in your head, you know, the characters take you off in a different direction or anything like that? Or is it, have you planned it to the extent where you really know almost every scene as to what's happening? No, there is, there is that creepy thing yeah. where the characters seem to have a mind of yeah, their own. Uh-huh. And I'm, I don't know how that happens. Um, Margaret Atwood wrote a book called Negotiating with the Dead, which is her book about writing mm-hmm. a book. Um, and she talks about it as kind of like channeling the voices of dead people, which is very, very weird. Um, but I kind of know what she means. There's something yeah. really spooky about it. Sometimes your character will be like, no, I'm going to do this. And you hadn't planned for that at all. Yeah. Right? Yeah. No, okay, definitely, right, I guess we're going over here then. Like, it definitely does happen. Like when yeah. you're right. And actually it can be quite exciting, but it can sort of throw, throw off. Yeah. Throw off. yeah. <laughs> Scrap all the stuff I've planned. Yeah. 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 What, what the heck's going to happen? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's always worse when you're like midway through a draft and you think, oh, now I've got to chuck all this time I've already yeah. written out the window and redraft it all. Um, and do you show your work to anyone? Obviously, you didn't so much. It doesn't sound like with all the hidden truths, but do you show your work to, you know, trusted friends or anything like that to read it over beforehand? I, actually, I don't. And that's, that's a shocking admission because I tell other people to do that. Uh-huh. You know, as a creative writing teacher, I recommend that as a good thing to mm-hmm. do, but, but I actually don't. I'm quite secretive about it. I'll talk to people about it. Like I spend quite a lot of time, um, bouncing ideas off people mm-hmm. and I'll sort of explain right in this scene Birch has to do this like there was a in the third novel which I've just finished she needed to find something in a wood she's in a wood and and you know it's this huge area of land and she needs to stumble across something mm-hmm. this vital clue and it's like how do I do that without it just being the biggest coincidence yeah, in yeah, the world yeah. um so I was bouncing ideas off people and came up with some really interesting ones like oh she falls over and she grabs at a plant and like she pulls up the roots and in the roots there's a dead <laughs> hand you know and also, you know people really like being able to sort of chip in I yeah, guess, yeah yeah for yeah. crime stuff I yeah think. yeah um so i do i do things like that but i, would, I don't show pages of the novel mm. to people mm. it's I've, I've i'm fortunate to have a really good e- agent and a really good editor mm-hmm. and so i just kind of go straight to them yeah. mm-hmm. um and then they tell me all the things I have to fix. <laughs> <laughs> and do you think having done the creative writing uh, course that, that you did, I'm sure that was obviously really, really helpful. And is that something that you kind of think, because I've seen a, this, this argument online before, people saying you need that kind of thing and folks saying you don't need that. Or, mm. is, you know, w- what's your view on whether or not? Is, that, is it, I'm sure it's helpful. Is it necessary? You know, should people go out and do courses like that to help them? It's a tricky one. Um, I mean, I, I you get people who say, oh, it's ridiculous, creative writing can't be taught. Mm-hmm. And I obviously believe that creative writing can be taught mm-hmm. because I teach it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's what I found from the creative writing master's degree that I did was it taught me so much about craft. Yeah. Um, and it was actually in poetry, but I think a lot of what I learned in that master's degree I have taken into the novels, you know, just things like listening to the rhythm of your sentences mm-hmm. and strong verbs and making sure you don't repeat yourself and you know looking out for like pet phrases that we all have yeah. that we like to revert to mm-hmm. you know just just the sort of nitty-gritty craft things it's been really useful for that but I don't think anybody needs to have one of these things I think they're extremely costly to get um and so obviously they're just not accessible to a lot of people mm-hmm. um a master's degree anyway and I think I think you can teach yourself this stuff just by doing it and going to writing groups and talking to other mm-hmm. writers. And, you know, you, you can pick up all the knowledge that you'd get on a master's degree elsewhere. It will just probably take longer because yeah. it's not as concentrated. You know. Okay. But I certainly don't think they're necessary. But even, even things like writing groups sometimes, you know, people, you know, almost speaking from my own point of view, writing is something that... Um, I really enjoy doing, do it my own, but it's that going along to a group and speaking to people mm-hmm. about your writing and stuff suddenly feels very exposed. And, yes. and <laughs> you, te- you know, I'm, I'm tend to be more introverted than extrovert. So, so putting yourself out there can be quite a yeah. scary thing, especially when it's something that you really are passionate about. Mm-hmm. And someone, someone might someone just with one line you could just, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's tricky. I mean, I teach this course called Write Like a Girl, which is for specifically for women who want to write, but who have really busy lives. And it's about finding ways to fit your writing around all your various other mm-hmm. commitments. And a lot of the women who come along have small children and things yeah. like that. And they always say, 
you know, it's, it takes a huge amount of effort. I have to get a babysitter. I have to, you know, psych myself up. I have to make sure everything's in place. And then I go along and, and then I still have to take myself through the door. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it is a terrifying thing to do. Um, and I kind of don't know what the answer to that is. I think it's just about finding the right, the right place. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I think we're very lucky here in Edinburgh to have places like Golden Hair Books and Lighthouse yeah. and mm-hmm. Typeronger, all these little bookshops that hold like very little, friendly, intimate groups for mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And yeah. so you're not going into like a university setting yeah. or a big group of people. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's automatically friendly and you get a cup of tea and stuff. You know? And I suppose everyone's in the same situation. Yeah. They're not, yeah. They're yeah. not <laughs> out to tear, tear each other apart. <laughs> you know you're not. You know you're not. <laughs> Although I don't know, maybe it happens sometimes. <laughs> Um, and at the at the editing stage, so if you send off your uh, your manuscript to your agent or editor, mm-hmm. and they come back with notes, are you always? Well, actually, it sounded like you weren't, and with all the hidden truths, you know, you will push back sometimes if you disagree with some of what they say. I, I did with. I mean, that was something that I felt really strongly about mm-hmm. the ending of that mm-hmm. book because I wanted my thought all the way through all the hidden truths was it, it has to reflect real life. Because if I take a subject matter like mass shootings and get at all silly with it or at all mm-hmm. fantastical with it, then mm-hmm. I've been really, really disrespectful, yeah. you know. Um, so it, it had to be true to life all the way through. Mm-hmm. And when these things really happen, you never get to know what went through this person's head to make them do this mm-hmm. horrendous thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there are still people speculating about Thomas Hamilton and mm-hmm. Dunblane and, you know, yeah. and, and yeah. we're many years on now. Um, so I wanted, I really wanted the ending to leave people with that feeling of, you know, I still don't quite know. I've been yeah. given a lot more information, but I still mm-hmm. don't quite know exactly mm-hmm. why he did this thing. Yeah. And that was, that was just very, that felt like kind of the, the central emotional core of the book. So for me, it felt like changing the whole personality of the book mm-hmm. to change that. Yeah. But otherwise I am generally very open to edits. I mean... I read somewhere that um, DBC Pierre doesn't, who's won the Booker Prize mm-hmm. and all sorts, doesn't do any edits at all, like refuses all edits. Oh, really? And when I first <laughs> get a structural edit, I'm always like, I'm going to do, I'm going to be like him this time. I'm just going to send yeah. it. I'm not doing it this minute. You can all get lost. Um, but then usually I'll read it again and go, actually, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I uh, think yeah, that, that, right that, that, that. So true. Yeah. Oh, I suppose I can do that. Yeah. Okay. I, th- it was, <laughs> I think it was uh, yeah, Craig Robertson told us about Lee Child, who was always. That's right. He's, he apparently says, you know, get 20 notes or something. And I say, this is all rubbish. I don't need it. And then a couple of days later, he'll be like, oh, well, yeah. I suppose I could do those three. <laughs> That's fine. And then a couple of days yeah. later, I suppose I could do those ones. I think well. it is, it's that psychological thing of, you know, you, you've, you've, you've spent so long on this work. You hand over someone, someone's like, yeah, it's good, but here's some changes. You think, yeah. well, what did you know? I'm the one who's having <laughs> <the> time writing <laughs> it. That'd be that. yeah. And it is. And then I just say time goes by and you think, and then it's, all, it's almost afterwards you look back and you think, oh, it's, that, that has made yeah. it a lot stronger. Annoyingly. You know? yeah. yeah, they were right. But I think, it's right. I think, I think at the end of the day, it's still your book and, it, yeah. and it's still the author's, it's, it's that balance between accepting something which you think will make it better and not wanting to compromise on the vision or the or the message you wanted to do. Yeah. I think I think as you see endings, I always find endings better if they do, if it's not neatly wrapped up yeah. and there's still that kind of, or you're still thinking about it a few days later. Mm-hmm. Or, and any good film or you know show you watch, when you're still thinking about it three to four days later, because mm-hmm. it's, it's less living on you. I think that is definitely a stronger ending. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it, if it's had that effect. I don't know if I have managed to succeed in making people still think about the book. Oh, I did five will. days down yeah, the line. Yeah, I, I did. That was the end. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so. And, and obviously the books are set in Edinburgh, um, where you live. Mm-hmm. Um, is that something that you think is important? You know, is that part of the, the sort of cliche of write what you know kind of a thing? Because you can bring more to it because you have more knowledge. I mean, with All the Hidden Truths, when I first started it, I think because I was afraid of mishandling the subject matter, it was actually set in kind of any town Scotland. Right, and I was okay. very vague about where precisely this was and that was one of the things that my first agent was really useful for in that she said you know you have to give people more of a frame of reference Mm -hmm. than this um and then I chose Edinburgh just because I know it so well and I Mm -hmm. was able to put in you know she said we want we want specificity we want street names we want you know the details and so I thought well I know all of that stuff about Edinburgh so 
that's what I'll do. And then it's actually become one of my favourite things about the books is getting to yeah. put in, you know, like Birch drives around a lot and I like mm-hmm. putting in what route she takes, for yeah, example, yeah. you know, just geeky things like that. I really enjoy like, no, it's always nice when where you the read stuff. Bad, yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah, yeah. And as as folk who know who know the area, it is nice mm-hmm. when you read something and yeah. know exactly where that it, is. It, it, certainly if you know the the city, I think it mm-hmm. takes you much more into the yeah, story because you suddenly visualise it. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a bit in All the Hintros where she's sitting at traffic lights on Seafield and the number of people who've said, oh, <laughs> those traffic lights on Seafield, like, I, I'm so with her, you're so right about that. So, and, yeah. and how do you know once you've, once you're, when a book's ready to go to it, you know, how, how do you know when you get that point and you say, it's now ready to go to the agent or I can now show it to someone at last, you know, what point Yeah, when it's reach? finished, I yeah. suppose, it's, it's difficult, rather than going back and revisiting. Yeah, it. I mean, it's, it's a tricky thing because now I'm on the sort of, it's a little bit of a hamster wheel when you're writing crime fiction and I'm, I'm now on the hamster wheel of deadlines. Yeah. So it's kind of like the deadline is approaching. It has to be ready, <laughs> you know, um, and I don't have time to go, oh, maybe I could just tweak it a little yeah, bit. You know? yeah. um, but I think I'm really lucky to have these two very good women uh, in my team who kind of, I can send it to them and go, look, I know that there's a bit in the middle that's a bit, flabby or whatever and I know that it's not this bit isn't quite right and I haven't quite got it yet and they will then sort of help you know so it's not that it's like I feel it's done and then it goes it's more like right I've got as far as I can on my own Mm. and now I need them to read it for me you know so it kind of goes from being a lone thing to a collaborative thing okay what what sort sort of deadlines have you been given now you're on a I mean I take it when you signed all the truth was mm-hmm. like a kind of two book deal. Three that was deal, a two book two deal. deal, and then I got a subsequent second two book deal. Okay. So I'm contracted for four. Okay, um, is that one per year essentially? Or roughly, is it, is it okay? yeah. Which is quite tight for a whole yeah. week. <laughs> <laughs> Not to yeah. put pressure on anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it, it's good though because it. I mean, everyone. I think a lot of people understand that you work better when you've got a deadline, and yeah. I yeah. certainly work better when I've got a deadline. So it, it helps. Um, but yeah, all the hidden truths took me about four years from first word on the page to sending it out to mm. publishers, you know. Um, and then what you pay for was eight months. So eight months of writing and then like two months of editing and then and then out the door it went, yeah. you know. So it, it it's much it's a much tighter time frame. Um, and did you have ideas for the other books when you handed in all the hidden truths? Yeah, I kind of I mean not in a in a large expansive book sized sense, mm-hmm. but I get little kind of kernels of an idea. Like the the kernel of the idea for what you pay for was from a news item that you might remember. There was a guy who faked his own death in a canoe accident oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and disappeared and like went to live in Panama. Yeah, for like seven for a yeah. Shoot and stuff. Yeah, is that, then, was that what when his wife knew about it? Yeah, yeah. his like, wife the kids. Knew, yeah, yeah, but his children yeah. didn't yeah. know. Yeah. And and I was fascinated by the fact that he seemed to have thoroughly disappeared. He'd managed to disappear in this age of, like, so much surveillance mm-hmm. and CCTV and, you know, social media and whatnot. And I started thinking, can I wonder if you could do that without committing any kind of criminal act. Like, is it possible to completely mm-hmm. disappear without doing something against the law? And the answer, I think, is no. Um, <laughs> but that was the, the little kernel for what you pay for. Mm-hmm. And that became the story of Charlie who reappears having been missing, presumed dead for 14 years. So it's just like tiny, tiny little ideas or questions that I get. And then it's, again, it's that snowball down the mountain thing. You just start pushing the snowball yeah. and see yeah. what sticks. You know. mm-hmm. so, yeah. uh, and <laughs> as with all successful crime novels, the question is, is uh, have you been, is there any approach from TV or anything like that for any of the novels that you're allowed to tell us about? You may not, <laughs> no, not really. I had a... I had a, a TV producer lady take me for a very nice breakfast in January of this year to talk about all the hidden truths. Um, but then she never called me back. Oh. <laughs> so, we, we, you know, I, I was, I, yeah, I got my hopes up, you know, because obviously that was still quite early in, uh-huh. in the proceedings. I was like, oh my God, it's the big time. You're going to be on Netflix. Like, <laughs> and then, and then she's like, you'll hear from me. And, and I, never, oh. I never did hear from her. So, but you know, she may still reappear. You never know. Exactly. But, well, uh, <laughs> the, the, the prize that we only. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I'm really pleased with how it's gone. Yeah. I know, I know everyone always says, oh, I'm perfectly happy as I am. And I wouldn't, I obviously wouldn't be sad if Netflix did come along. Um, 
but it's it's done so incredibly well and people have said such nice things yeah. about it you know that that for me has been the the best thing has been having it reviewed in mm-hmm, big yeah. newspapers and have people say nice things yeah. about it um you know marcel berlin's um gave it a really really nice review and he was obviously you know sadly died recently but he was such a kind of titan of crime mm-hmm. fiction reviewing mm-hmm. um so you know things like that have been just like all my Christmases come up. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm really pleased with how and, it's done. And you find that with each book you've written, it gets easier each time? And, you know, when you get, get into your, it's easier to get into the routine or is it still, is it still the same kind of struggles each time, the same points, the, the same 10,000 words, etc.? Yeah, there's still the thing of, oh, I've had an idea for another one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I want to go and do that now. That's, that's still very uh, present. But I think the biggest thing now is, the confidence to think, well, I know I can do this because I've done it once, you know, and people have said that I did it okay. <laughs> like that, that makes a big difference to have yeah. had someone like Marcel Berlin's go, mm-hmm. yes, actually, you can write a book. You're okay yeah. at this. Yeah. Um, that removes a lot of the sort of imposter syndrome and the fear and, and the sort of shame type yeah. stuff, you know, all the stuff you're in therapy for. Um, <laughs> that lifts some of that a bit and it doesn't, yeah. that makes it easier. Uh-huh. Okay. But there's still the thing of like, is this at all pacey or is it really boring yeah, or, yeah. you know, and you don't, th- that's something that, that I don't find out until readers start to read it. Okay. It's like, is it pacey or not? I never know. Because I was in, because I thought the, the first, the opening section to All the Hidden Truths, um, I thought was, was really strong and I thought it was paced very well because you kind of, you kind of not sure what's going on at mm-hmm. first and that, that, all that kind of confusion and then it starts to clarify what's going on. Mm. And, and I did wonder, was that something that you, you knew as you were writing it, this is, pacing it well or you planned it that way or was it all almost was it editing or was it just luck well i mean that's what you aim for yeah, it? it's yeah. like i hope i hope people are gripped by this but because you write at a much slower speed than anybody's going to read mm-hmm. you know you've been working on this scene for a week or three weeks yeah. or whatever and it's going incredibly slowly and it's very tedious for you so yeah i never have i'm never entirely sure if it's if it reads yeah quickly you know or if it reads in a gripping way so it's always nice when people go oh yeah i couldn't couldn't put that bit down and i'm like thank goodness for so yeah that's always that's that's the kind of wait and see mystery mm-hmm. bit that i'm always i think that's probably the thing i'm most worried about is does it does it flow does it tick along yeah yeah i mean i suppose it, but if you've got always got that moment of the agent or editor coming back and Helping you mm. with bits that might not work as well. I suppose, yeah. I suppose that's their role. Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're the fresh eyes will yeah. come on and say this bit's dragging and this bit's going too fast, or you can, they can help you. Tweet yeah. I mean, it's the sort of it's the sort of thing that I think because we have spoken to a couple of people that self published, mm-hmm. and that's almost a stage that is missing. And I suppose that's a big danger yeah. in the self publishing mm. stage that the first time it is going out there, you know, sometimes they'll get an editor in or something, but. It's not has had as much consideration sometimes, mm-hmm. I suppose, mm-hmm. as the difficulty. No, I mean, I'm completely in awe of people who self-publish. I think it's a very brave thing to do mm-hmm. for that very reason, because I feel like I have so many buffers between me and mm-hmm. and a reader. Yeah. <laughs> you know, someone is going to come along and say, because especially when you're writing crime fiction, you're writing about violence. Mm-hmm. You want someone to say, like, this is a bit gratuitous or yes. like, this yeah. is distasteful. Yeah. That's something I worry mm-hmm. about, especially with a topic like mass shooting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You want someone to tell you, like, mm, this is going to yeah. upset people, yeah. um, which I don't think anyone ever said, fortunately. But had I been, I don't, I don't think I could have self-published all the hidden truths. I think I would have been too frightened. Mm-hmm. So no, I know you mean. I think people are brave. When you're, when you're in the, and you're wrapped up in a subject like that, it is difficult to, to get, to get mm-hmm. the distance, isn't it? Yeah. Knowing, am I, Am I playing up to the tropes of this genre, or am I taking it past that point, and am I, or am I taking it something you know, too far? Yeah. And I can, I, I can, I don't need, I can take, get the same effect by dealing it back a little mm-hmm. bit, and that is hard to see. I think yeah. when you're wrapped up in it all for so long as well. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, things like the conspiracy theory research that I was mm. doing, you get quite desensitised to it. You start thinking, yeah. Yeah. well, anything could be fake. This whole world is a simulation. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, when you've spent a lot of time yeah. sitting uh-huh. on these strange websites. So, yeah, just things like that. To have yeah, I suppose go, most food are, gone aren't that immersed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And do you ever get writer's block? And uh, if so, how do you overcome it? I, I, I kind of don't... I feel like writer's block is a bit of an unhelpful term mm-hmm. and I think 
it can sometimes be used as a bit of a cop out. You know, people say, "Oh, I've got writer's block. I'm done. I can't. Yeah. I can't. You know, I'm done for the next six months." Um, I, I mean, you, I, I was listening to your episode with Mr. Carey, and he said, right. "I've got. I have good days and bad days." Yeah. And I think that's that's how it is. You know, yeah. some days it's a mystery as to why, but I will just sit in front of the laptop and there's just nothing there. You know. And I can be 60,000 words in. I know exactly what needs to happen next. I know the scene that I need to write and it just isn't there. Yeah. And it's days like that where you just have to like make yourself a cup of tea and, and, you know, do something else until it is there. Um, But then the next day you can be absolutely fine. Yeah. And I think the problem with the idea of writer's block is someone has a day like that and then they go, all right, I clearly have writer's block, therefore... I will yeah. take the mm-hmm. next three months off. Yeah. Um, that's the danger because the, the next day you can like, get into flow and have a yeah. fantastic yeah. day. So because it is so yeah. true. Sometimes it just it does just click, and sometimes yeah. you think I'm, it's just crap. Uh, uh, yeah, another, another thing some people have said to us is just almost just write down shorthand for what is meant to happen here, <laughs> yeah. and try and move on to the next bit yeah. and see if then you can go back to it mm. almost. You know, I think the key thing is keep writing. Yeah, don't don't yeah. stop yeah. just because you're having a bad day. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. It's easier said than done. I do yeah. understand why people stall and then can't get going again. Yeah. Like, and it's also that there's that kind of guilt of if you're not writing every day, you're not a real writer and stuff. Yeah. And I think it's, especially, you know, everyone's got lives and jobs, etc. And it's difficult enough to try and find the time. I mean, you do find that time if it's not clicking, it can easily feel like I'm just, I'm just rubbish at this and I'll just give up. So, yeah. It is, yeah, certainly I'm guilty sometimes of sitting there for an hour and a half or something and going, it's not going to happen. Yeah. I'll just i watch something on Netflix. <laughs> that will inspire me. Seven hours later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah that's the, but exactly. There's also so much stuff on our time now. And it's, yeah, it's, yeah. You're t- mm-hmm. trying to squeeze it in. It is, it is difficult. And yeah. yeah. I think you have, to, you have to give yourself a break sometimes. And yeah. Think. And again, I talk a lot to, to women in particular. This applies to, to men, to dads as well. There, you know, there are some people who are like, right, I've got 20 minutes while yeah, the baby yeah, is napping. Yeah. This is my writing time. Mm-hmm. And so that must be doubly frustrating yeah, when nothing comes yeah. and you're like, that's the yeah. only window I have. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I think what, what I tend to say to those people as well, if it takes you four years to write your novel, that's fine. It took me four years to write my mm-hmm. novel. If it takes you 10 years, it's fine. Just, just keep, keep chipping away yeah, at yeah, it, yeah. basically. And that's not what people want to hear because the, we've got this narrative of sort of, the overnight success yeah. and like Zadie Smith wrote White Teeth mm. when she was still an undergrad and yeah. all this kind of thing. Um, but it, if you can, you have to try and yeah. put that aside and just be like, this is my thing. doesn't matter how other people yeah. have done their thing, you know. Yeah. I'm not writing it so I can become an overnight success. Yeah. I'm writing it because I enjoy writing. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, the, the overnight success narrative is sort of fake anyway. Yeah. Yes, that's probably true. Because I mean, I mentioned Helen Sedgwick earlier. I think she's a really interesting example that her in inverted commas, debut novel, The Comet Seekers, she'd written three books before that mm. that never got published for one reason or another. And yet that was presented as like, oh, br- you know, brand new writer, yeah. freshly minted. Yeah. Yeah. And yet that's she'd been writing for like 10 years before mm. that. Yeah. So, And I think that's true of a lot of us. You know, I was a poet for 10 years before I wrote a novel. And so it's, it's not even really true, mm. that overnight no. success thing. But it is really pervasive. Yeah, so. that's what everyone hears, and it's yeah. and the massive amounts of money and fame that comes with it and stuff, and it's not really. Well, that's it. Even even if even if you get published, you get an agent, you get published, it can still it's still going nowhere. It can go nowhere, can go nowhere yeah, but yeah. you have to still love the writing. That's yeah, the exactly. That's ultimately yeah, what it comes back yeah. to. Yeah. Uh, and what what sort of stuff do you like to read yourself? All sorts of things. Um, I'm on a real non-fiction thing at the moment and I really like true crime so I listen to a lot of true crime podcasts and I read true crime books mm-hmm. and I'm really excited I'm, I'm currently rereading this book that's about the Salem witch trials because I've just been oh, on nice. holiday to Boston um <laughs> and it's written like a crime novel it's kind of like let's get to the bottom of of why Salem happened and how this came about um but I'm like racing through it because I really want to read this book called The Five I can't remember the name of the author but it's about oh, the five oh, victims of Jack the Ripper Um, And it's been quite a controversial book because she, the author, has posited that they were not all sex workers, as Mm -hmm. was previously Mm -hmm. assumed. And so that massively potentially changes what Jack the Ripper's motive was um, if they weren't all, if they didn't all fit neatly into the same category. Um, So that's, I'm really into that kind of thing. But also I read a lot of just fiction of all stripes. Mm -hmm. Like it was really, again, listening to your M.R. Carey 
episode, it was really nice to hear him talk about The Girl with All the Gifts, which is one of my favourite books ever. Yeah. Yeah. I really like zombie fiction. I'm really interested in zombie stories and mm-hmm. why we like zombies yeah, so much. Yeah. Why are we so interested in them? Um, so yeah, I, I kind of read all sorts. Cool. And generally, if someone says to me, like, oh, I've read this thing and it's really, it's really weird, that's always a an immediate like appeal yeah, for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just read a novel called The Pisces, which is about a woman who has a relationship with a merman. Right. Um, <laughs> and it's so weird, but it was really, really good. So so I really like just weird books. Cool, okay. yeah. <laughs> cool. <laughs> weird and dark and creepy. Yeah. And would you, would you like to write something other than crime at some point? Yeah, I mean, I've got... I think all the ideas that I have are genre of some mm-hmm. kind, but I've got lots of ideas for other stuff. I would like to write a zombie yeah. book. I've got mm-hmm. an idea for Zombies in Edinburgh book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and that, that routinely is the one that comes up because I think that would be like, that would just be fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it would just be good, clean fun. And whenever I'm like 60,000 words deep in something, it's, it's the thing it's, that pops up. Yeah. Like, Why are you not writing this? You could just be yeah. writing about zombies right now. That would be so much more fun than this. And is, is um, it hard? I mean, I take it with the contract you've got, do, do agents or, or do publishers contracts tend to be, we want two novels like this one, keep writing what the books you've done in the past? Or is it, or do folk tend to be pushed on a certain path? Um, I mean, I, I can't kind of speak for anybody else, but my, my current contract says that, that it will be two D.I. Helen Birch books. Right, okay. So, and I mean, I'm, I'm sure that my agent would be open to me going, right, D.I. Helen Birch fights zombies. <laughs> um, but I don't know if my editor would necessarily <laughs> go for that. But I mean, they're both, they're both great. They're really, you know, I, I feel like I, I'm very lucky in that I can sit down and chat to them about mm-hmm. anything. And, you know, if I wanted to do a zombie book and mm-hmm. it was, a case of, right, I have to get this written for some reason before I can do the, the fourth mm-hmm. Helen Burge book. It's just, I have to get it out of my head or something. Yeah. Which, by the way, Kath is not the case. At all. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm sure she would be willing to sit yeah. down and talk to me about it. You cool. know, like, they're both very straight talking, um, open minded people, mm. which, which is what you want from yeah, your, yeah, from yeah, your, yeah, totally. your folk. If you've got, if you end up with someone that you can't talk to about your, your ideas, then you're probably, you've got the wrong team, mm. you know, so. Yeah, yeah. And so what's next? You've got the D.I. Birch. So the third one, when's that out? Is yeah, that so later the, this the uh, next year? One, sorry. Yeah. yeah, we've slightly changed the um, the release date because All the Hidden Trees and What You Pay For came out in August. But obviously releasing a book in August in Edinburgh yeah. is not the best <laughs> idea. There's a lot of books um, in August. Now, yeah, it, it, gets, it gets a bit lost in the fringe and stuff. So we've decided that the third one, which is going to be called Cover Your Tracks, is going to come out in February 2021. Right. So I have finished it. It's kind of, it, I wrote it as if it were on schedule to come out mm-hmm. in August. Mm-hmm. But then I get a bit of a rest, basically. Yeah. So it's not out till next February, which is... So you've got plenty of time for that zombie nice. book. So that's what I'm thinking, <laughs> yeah. It's like, like cheekily just just have a bash at this zombie book yeah. in between. But we'll see. And then, so the fourth one will follow that that trajectory. Then it will be February 2022. Right, okay. So, yeah. And have you got an idea for that, or how do you how do you come up with your ideas? Is it, and is it hard to do so for crime novels when you're, you know, thinking of a new crime or a new way to explore a crime? Uh, well, I think I I absorb so much true crime stuff that I'm kind of always in the in the sort of crucible of thinking mm-hmm. about that that kind of thing. And what's kind of frightening and amazing about human beings is if you can think of any criminal act we've already done it you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. there's all sorts of weird and wonderful things that that people do and have done um so the the material is is there um the fourth one i, I actually have the idea for I, I wondered about writing the fourth one as the second one but then it, it's another kind of big crime like um yeah all the hidden truths and i thought it would just be too much mm-hmm. um so what you pay for is is a bit of a quieter book in many ways the second one mm-hmm. um and then and then i got another the, the lure of the new idea i got another idea for the third one and so that that idea that is now the fourth one got sort of pushed yeah. further back um I'm, i know i'm being really cryptic but <laughs> no, i haven't no, really talked about no, 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 that's that's that much, so i don't no, know no, if i can no, tell no, no, of course not. <laughs> um, but yeah it's but i i i've got quite a quite a, a clear idea of it in my head cool. like what I really need before I can start writing is I need to know 
the structure of like the time of the novel. So before I started What You Pay For, I was really struggling to sort of see it as a whole thing. And then one day I suddenly realized it's a week, it's seven days long. And then once I had the seven days, it was like, oh, right, now I can start. Yeah. I understand the shape of it. Everything kind of falls you know? into place a little yeah. bit, yeah. And the fourth one is going to be take place over 24 hours, right. which I have always wanted to do. So I'm really yeah. excited about <laughs> getting started on it. Cool. Awesome. Last film you saw? Um, oh, I haven't been. I've, I'm like deep into the West Wing at the moment. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, right. I'm a massive, massive yeah. West Wing fan, and I watch it probably every year at yeah. about this time of year. So I've just restarted the West Wing, and so that's all that's on my TV. How far are you uh, now? I'm just getting to the end of season one. Okay, cool. Um, on. Yeah, uh, but I, you know, I'm already like back in the world. Yeah, I, I just it's love it. I've seen it about. 50 times. Um, and I haven't been to the cinema in ages. I can't think what the last thing I saw in the cinema was. I couldn't tell you. No. It's been a long time. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just in Western world, basically. Well, fair enough. <laughs> um, well, it also answers our third question, which is yeah. the last show you watched. Oh, right. Okay. Western, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, that's fine. <laughs> uh, and then the last thing is uh, a sort of either or, so just whatever pops okay. into your head. Well, TV or cinema, easy one. It's TV. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, line of Duty or... Bodyguard. You see, I haven't seen The Bodyguard. Oh, okay. And it's not The Bodyguard because that's the movie, isn't it? <laughs> I have seen that and it's not um, No, I haven't seen Bodyguard yet. Okay. It's on the list, but Line of Duty is amazing. Yes, it's yeah, very, really very, good. very compelling. Oh, viewing, yes. It? A real book or an e-book? Always a real book. I've never had a Kindle or an oh, e-book right. or anything. Okay. Um, so whenever I go on holiday, I'm that person. Like five <laughs> novels on my arm on the book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, I can't, just can't. Can't quit real books. Fair enough. <laughs> it's, it's amazing how, how many authors pick the real book. It's actually it's pretty funny. Well, like, I, 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 I mean, it's a bit of a cheap question because I quite like both of them. <laughs> like, I'd like to have real books, but yeah, for holidays and stuff. Real books are great on the shelf. I love a shelf. <laughs> I, love, like, I, I probably just it's buy the book twice. Just buy it on the, yeah. on the Kindle to read on holiday and yeah. then an untouched version on your shelf. Yeah. That would be perfect. Yeah. Well, you see, you, you probably hate me because I'm like a book destroyer like oh, no. a bend Marco. the spines oh, no, and you actually give Marco yeah. hold the corners palpitation oh, no. <laughs> no I hold books like this so. <laughs> yeah my wife's always like has this been read even I like to look I like to crack the spines yeah. and I know where I am <laughs> yes yeah. <laughs> well I, I won't ever get a book from Marco to read now <laughs> um, fancy restaurant or a takeaway I think fancy restaurant mm. nice um, and the last one, the Scottish crime, Laidlaw or Rebus? Uh, so mean. <laughs> <laughs> I think Rebus because I found Rebus first. And I feel like I, like Rebus is like the go-to, mm-hmm. isn't it? Everyone loves Rebus. So I think Rebus. Okay. Not fair enough. Sorry. No. <laughs> I feel bad choosing. There's no wrong answers. <laughs> I think that's 2-0 to Rebus against Laidlaw. <laughs> in our extremely our, scientific it, yeah, uh, study. Exactly. I think it's drawing from that massive pool of two <laughs> Scottish crime writers that we've spoken to recently, we both picked Rebus over Laidlaw. Uh, can I tell you an interesting secret about myself, Marco? Uh, uh, yes. It's only me you're telling. Don't worry about <laughs> the recording equipment. Uh, I have never read a Rebus book. Never? Never in my entire life. Never have I ever. And uh, I would drink if I had a drink <laughs> Have you? Uh, That's the rules of the game. Seen the? Have you seen the TV show? No, I I, I saw it being filmed, but randomly. That didn't make you want to read the books. Nah, if anything, it put me off it. <laughs> the way he got the way he got, the way who was it? Who was the actor who played him? Uh, John Hanna. Was that Rebus? No. What was that? watching being filmed? <laughs> was it? Yeah, it was John Hanna. Was it not? He no, it was, it was. It was. It uh... was. Well. John well, maybe, Hanna, maybe John, John Hannah. I'm sure he must. I'm sure well. he did. We're currently looking up. This is exciting. This is live. Ken Stott. No, but John Hannah played him as well. Oh yeah, yeah you're yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. Oh, he he ruined it for me. <laughs> John I watched Hannah. him climbing into a car, and I was like, I'm done. I'm out. Oh well. Sorry. Um, Sorry. I think you've just blown our chance of getting an interview with Ian Rankin. <laughs> I'll read them all before he comes on. Don't worry. Excellent, excellent. Uh, well, I thought that was a really good chat with Claire, and yeah. it was it was interesting really to hear how all the hidden truths. 
wasn't this massive success. You know, the, the idea of the overnight yeah. success yeah. is really a lie, I suppose. Yeah, it's um, very, very rare. For it wasn't this massive happen. success to begin with, but she had polished that first yeah. 10,000 words, and that really was the the way that it became successful. Yeah, and also she did that brave thing, which is having an agent and then saying goodbye to that agent mm-hmm. and finding a new one. When, you know, a lot of us who are trying to get agents, it's a long process, you, you write to so many people, to then throw that away and jump in with someone new or to try and find someone new, it's not easy yeah, to do. Yeah, it must have been, as you say, it was a really brave yeah, step no, to absolutely. take. But it, it was the right one, though. It was the right one, and the success of the book shows that she was right to stick to her guns in the yeah. way that she wanted the book to end, which I think is... Like she says, it is that sort of book that doesn't give you a happy resolution. No, it doesn't tie no. everything up. And it's all the better for it. No, I think that's right. I think a lot of good crime fiction, especially if it leaves you feeling slightly uneasy or yeah, unsure, exactly, yeah. I think that's a good way and, to leave and it. And it's the balance between between writing and ending that you you know as the author is the best, or you feel is the best one, and having to stick to your guns on that and say, no, I'm going to go against your advice and I'm going to leave you to go to yeah, something I mean, else. And that... And having the conviction to stick to that. I mean, yeah, it's not something that could have been an easy decision, but as we say, it was the right one. So yeah. thanks again so much to Claire for coming on the podcast. We really appreciate her taking the time to, yeah. to come and meet with us to record that. And we also appreciate her giving us a signed copy of What You Pay For, uh, which is, as we discussed there, the second book in the D.I. Birch series. Claire has donated that signed copy to us to give away as a prize in a competition which it's a, it's a i thought it was, i thought it was for me <laughs> well We're giving it away i was going to say you, I'm, could, I'm you can enter i mean enter if you want <laughs> i'm not sure you win but uh yeah so if you want to win that signed copy just look at our social media accounts there's instructions on there for how to win it this is just a short competition it's only going to run until next thursday yep because we'll announce the winner on next week's podcast and before I tell you who's on next week's podcast, very exciting. Which is very exciting news. You can also enter the competition by rating and leaving a review for us on Apple Podcasts. I understand there has been some difficulty in leaving reviews. A few people have been in touch saying that they've rated us, but they can't leave a review because it won't let them use a username. That's an Apple problem. That is. From looking online, it looks like it's just because there were so many usernames yeah. already taken. So. Just add a few numbers to the end of whatever username you want and it will probably let let you leave that review. If you do that, just drop us an email to let you know that you've done that. And as always, if you can rate and review us, especially on Apple Podcasts, it really helps us shoot up the charts, which makes a big difference to us being able to record this and get all these great authors and writers on the podcast. It it really is incredibly important and it's really... as. Marco says the Apple Podcast chart is the big one really to climb up. And if we're able to climb up that consistently, that will help us do more amazing podcasts for you guys to listen to. Yeah. But speaking of big authors, who's on next week, Tarek? Next week, we have a, a very big author, someone exciting to both of us, mm-hmm. uh, Mr. Richard Morgan, or Richard K. Morgan, if you are in the US of A. Yes. I believe he's known as. Uh, yeah, Richard is the author of uh, sci-fi novels such as Altered Carbon. Yeah, it's probably what he's best known yeah, for. Yeah, which last year was turned into what I thought was a great mm-hmm. series on Netflix. Um, it's, yeah, very, what I, would, I suppose the term is hard sci-fi. Yeah. Um, you know. Blade Runner-y. Yeah. yeah noir. noir. Yeah, Very exactly, much noir. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, there's no... Good guys and bad guys as no, such. Everyone, everyone's a bad guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> everyone, the shades of grey, I think is maybe the way yeah. to say it. But he's also written a, a successful fantasy series as well. Yes. He's written he's comics, he's written games. video games. Uh, we had a great chat with Richard. Yeah. And also a long chat with Richard. <laughs> um, it was uh, our longest podcast longest, yep. to date. Uh, so we are still currently deciding whether to le- release it as one mammoth Mark episode. Mark trying to work out whether he- or divide it into two. <laughs> he can bear the thought of editing two separate episodes. Of the yeah, podcast. so uh, there will certainly be at least one episode with Richard out next Friday. So I uh, highly recommend tuning in for that one. That one will be the last in the present series. We'll announce the winner of the Clear Ask You competition and the Andy McNabb competition. A lot of stuff happening next, next week. week. <laughs> yeah, so if, if you want to enter that competition, get on it quickly. And uh, we'll see you next week. See you then. The Blank Page. To some, it's terrifying, an obstacle to overcome. 
but we prefer to think of it as an opportunity, a blank canvas to be filled with all of the adventures and characters in our head. So how to overcome that fear? Well, we all know the best advice for a writer is, write. Seriously, get words on the page and more will follow. But what about later, when you start trying to pull those threads of what you've written together? What about the character you wrote about way back at the start? Who was she again? What was she carrying? And where did she leave the MacGuffin that she now really needs in the third act? Think about all those top thrillers you like to read. Or that amazing drama you just watched. What did they all have in common? Structure and planning. As aspiring writers ourselves, we've tried many different methods to try and organise all the thoughts about the stories we want to tell. We've been there searching for a piece of scrap paper to note something down, or making a quick note on our phone in between meetings. Or sometimes we'll make a note in whatever notebook we're carrying, or a document on our laptop so we don't forget that great idea. Let's be honest, it can all be a bit messy and it's easy to lose track of everything. And that's when we realise it's not just a story that needs structure and planning, but the way we gather all of our thoughts about it as well. And so we made page one. Page one is more than just another notebook. It's a place to put down all your ideas for your latest project, divided into easy-to-use sections that will help you plan your story, so that when that blank page comes calling, you're ready to answer. And then afterwards, once it's written, we realised you need to plan how to let people read it, so we included a section relating to submissions. Each one is designed for one project, whether you want to write a book, screenplay, a comic, or any other kind of story. We truly believe that when you use it, it will help you get to the main event, writing your story. So we hope this helps. We can't wait to read what you come up with. And remember, every story starts with page one.